Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report interview podcast. I'm really excited about the guest we have on today's episode. Uh, this guy's been known for putting out some amazing albums over a really long career, always trying different things, and he's getting a lot of praise for his album that came out this year, which many are calling his best work. Of course, I'm talking about Devin Townsend and his album Empath. I'm really happy to welcome him to the show. Glad to have you back, Devin. How you doing, buddy? I've been great. Really enjoying the record. Congrats on this uh, Empath, man. This is pretty spectacular. Thanks, dude. When was the last time we talked? Uh, around the live, the live release, the uh, Plovdiv uh, DVD, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah, man. Well, thank you very much. No, it was uh, it was the next in line for sure, but it was also one that uh, that took a a lot of effort. I mean, yeah. they all take effort, but this one took a lot of effort. <laughs> <laughs> so. I know you got limited time, so I'll get I'll get to some of these questions here. But um, you've made a long career of taking left turns and trying to do what is not expected of you. This album being a major part of that. But are you surprised that it's been as accepted and praised? I mean, it's pretty unanimous that this is like quite an achievement of an album. I think that's what it's looked like. Yeah, man. I mean, well, first off, I never try to do that, which. Um... I think it's a misconception as well. Like I, 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 I actually dread changing it up it, <laughs> because as soon as you do, you have to rationalize it to people, right? Yeah. Um, I just kind of uh, the whole process of doing what I do uh, is heavily um, rooted in following where where things lead, and uh, that always seems to go in a direction that I'm uh, not expecting. And then once it becomes clear to me what it is that I need to do, you just gotta. I feel like I just need to follow it until it's as accurate as it can be. And I think a lot of the work that went into Empath that was so challenging was just the fear of, for example, the past few records I've been on sort of an uphill trajectory, but they've all had like a um, uh, an element of safety might not be the right word, but but I was comfortable in that style. Mm-hmm. And to shake that up, I was just like, oh, shit, what's going to happen now? But because it was so clear to me that this is what needed to be done, I just had to go with it and just keep my fingers crossed that, that people would respond favorably to it. And, and they have. They really have. Yeah. How much was the uh, initial experimentation part before you realized, uh, you know, maybe it was a song, maybe it was a moment of something on the album where you where you came across that and said, okay, this is this is where I'm going. I get it. This is what's going to be. That's a good question. That's a really good question. I mean, there was a lot of experimentation and I went down a lot of rabbit holes that ended up being fruitless. Um, you know, I would take stabs in the dark because in the beginning, I think something to understand as well is that usually by the six months into the process of a record, say, um, you found, like you had mentioned, like that one song that defines it, or or you've got a style that you keep going back to. Maybe you are in a rock and roll frame of mind, or you're in a jazzy frame of mind, or something sort of defines that particular period for you. And, and the experimentation with this record was unnerving because I just, I, nothing seemed to, get any traction in one direction. I was just writing all sorts of things. 
And what I started dreading or fearing was that there was just no single thing that was going to appear. And at that point, I just started saying, well, maybe it's all these things, which is ultimately what it ended up being. But um, but the song Genesis was the first one that um, I started. By the time I finished it, I remember sitting back and listening to it and going, oh, okay, it's everything. It's all of this stuff in one place. And Genesis can act as a very convenient opening track because it's, you know, the one song or one of the songs that seem to um, comprise a lot of different things within one one piece of music, right? Yeah. yeah. So after Genesis, I felt I had a much clearer vision. The The big element of the album that I love is all the orchestration. Um, you know, I've tried to describe this to people, and, and it's, I'm like, well, it's it's part metal, it's part, you know avant-garde it's part disney the musical i mean it's 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 hard to explain what the album is and yeah. but i really there's a couple moments that stand out for me first being the the track why which mm. i think is just uh, just beautiful just an amazing song but it even works better because it comes right after hear me which is <laughs> yeah. the heaviest song on earth so how you know are you writing why and not knowing what to do with it, or, or is the plan to to put it right next to a, a super heavy song? Where you know, talk me through the process of of putting all that together. Sure, I mean a lot of these things appear to make much more sense retroactively. It's it's like I think that as artists, we can probably safely spin the process to make it sound like we were in control of it the whole time. But the truth is a lot more grody. I think I. Uh, panic for a year and a half and try a bunch of things and and then things start making more sense based on all the things that you try that make no sense if that makes any sense and so uh, the track why was initially part of the writing that i'm doing for the moth but i felt that um it was important to, I mean, why was very clearly kind of like Fantasia and sort of Disney inspired sounds. And I felt that it was more that than, than what I am hoping the moth will be. So it seemed to be a convenient way to soften the blow of doing a full blown musical to include something like why on a record like this. And because why was so divisive among the people who had heard it, like, you know, people who are involved with the recording, their you know, people, label, everything. They're just like, well, this isn't the right place for that song. And I, and I kept saying, no, I think it is. It's just a matter of of presenting it in a way that that um, is dramatic enough. And um, and at first, when I was trying to place it on the record, I kept trying it in different places. But it all seemed like it 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 had so much importance placed on it everywhere else. But after hear me, the shock of it made it really work. And yeah. at that point, I remember thinking like, Oh, that's a good, that's a good place because hear me was a hard one to get my head around because it required me sort of going back to the sort of strapping mentality, which was challenging, but juxtaposing it with something like that seemed to make them both work, which I was very happy with. They should release why as a single, just because it's so not expected. And yeah. there's that core of people that, 
you know, have a hard time getting what you do that maybe that song brings them to the table. You know, well, that's sort got, of what I was thinking. We've got a video we're making for it. So I'm going to propose that uh, on, on my side as well, because um, I think it could really uh, be interesting for people. Absolutely. But uh, I'll see how far the video is away from being made. I think it's maybe about a month away. But yeah, that could be really cool. But, you know, it's I think a lot of this process, why or hear me or singularity or genesis or any of this stuff, it was almost predominantly based in me getting over the parameters that I think I had imposed on myself. You know, maybe I'd gone for a few or a good portion of my career thinking, well, clearly you can't do that. You know, it's not allowed for whatever reason. But during the course of this this creative process, I remember just one day just going, well, the only person that's disallowing this is you. It's got nothing to do with, you know, um, genre expectations or the label or management. Like, I just seem to, like, have been putting these shackles on myself creatively because I wanted to fit in somewhere, perhaps. And um, to remove those, I just realized, I was like, oh, shit, well, that was easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, th there's that, but then there's also not everyone could pull off all the stuff you do on this. I mean, it does take a certain unique type of mind and, you know, to be able to make all this work, which, which it does. I mean, I, you know, I had a chance to listen to this album months ago, you know, reviewing it and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was telling people, I'm like, you're not ready for what this album is. I'm like, I'm just telling you, like, you think you've heard Devin Townsend, you're not ready for what this is. It's just... <laughs> It is just madness, you know. Well, in you the know best what's way. You know, I I really appreciate that, man. I mean, what's interesting as well is is um, some of the comments that I had heard about it, um, because I agree with you, it's madness. But it's not madness from the point of view of of um, a lack of control. I think the point that needed to be made, or I needed to make not only to myself, but artistically in general, was that life is madness. And in order to, um, in order to be able to cope with that madness, you need to have some sort of tether um, throughout it that makes the madness just um, a reflection of a mad world as opposed to an unhealthy creative process. And that tether is, well, empathy on one level, where in order to understand other people, I mean, it's a prerequisite for that is to be willing to understand that, that each person is different. And that lends credence to the stylistic differences between songs for one. But, but I think that the, the most predominant tether on this is, is, the point that I was hoping to make that as crazy as life is and the music and the, the dynamicism of the music is meant to represent that craziness of life, what is the common thread throughout is that we all have to participate in that. And there's um, something that I think I was guilty of in the past couple of years of consciously denying some of the craziness and consciously denying some of the negativity in hopes that I could make statements that were very uplifting. But, you know, as I 
participate with friends or family who deal with depression, one thing that has become um, shockingly clear to me is that to deny the fact that things are ugly or bad or um, negative um, is not particularly helpful. I think what's more helpful is to acknowledge that these things exist, but also acknowledge that through it all, we're participating in it, and one person's ability to get through it can help another person make the same choices. True, absolutely. Um, the other part of the album that is my favorite part probably is is sort of the last maybe three four minutes of Singularity, the the long you know twenty something epic there uh, that sure. closes out the album. How are you able to put together that? you know, double bass metal kind of off time signature rhythmic thing going on with this beautiful choir. And there's a, a killer melody about it. That whole part at the end, it, it just is the most gorgeous sounding blend of sounds that don't belong. So <laughs> how much, how much goes into making that mix work into making, you know, to be able God. to hear all that together. I mean, that's, that's gotta be such a challenge. Yeah, it was a nightmare, man. I, I tried to mix it. Nolly and I tried to mix it together, but we didn't have enough time to do it the way that I wanted. So I had to learn to make that work myself. And yes, it's it's a very difficult um, set of uh, parameters to make all these things work together. And, uh, you know, to a lesser or greater degree, um, I feel it does. But that ending piece, Here Comes the Sun, um, that was one of the first things I had written for the record, actually. Uh, I remember maybe a year before I had even started Empath, that piece was available to be um, uh, incorporated into something. And the mental note that I had made for myself while I had demoed it was that this should be the climax of something absurd, like some absurd epic thing that goes through a lot of shifts. And this um, piece should represent like the sun coming up. And um, I think also, you know, things like this, I, it's, it's maybe in some sense I can, I can deconstruct how the process goes, but a lot of it is just vision based. Like I have a thing that I'm trying to achieve in my head and I just keep, picking at it until it works <laughs> <laughs> yeah the sound of the record is is also amazing and it's part of a it's almost like another character mm -hmm. in it that where everything sounds perfectly um uh like it's supposed to i mean was just not aside from that song i mean just the overall album getting all the sounds right i know that's something you struggle with before on many albums to getting the, the right drum sound right or the right guitar you know sound correctly so you know, how, how much of a challenge was that in general? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, I mean, one, uh, I'll preface my answer with the fact that it's it's never going to be right. You know what I mean? It's like, at least not with the traditional stereo speaker uh, options that we're, we're presented with. Like, trying to make the visions work with two speakers is really 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 frustrating um i think because going back to the last question my vision for these things is so specific and so strong um hopefully each record gets a little closer to that goal but that vision is conversely so unobtainable 
that the best it can ever be is adequate. <laughs> you know, well, no, probably as the, as the artist, you, you can't tell that it sounds as amazing as it does, but as the listener, I don't know how it could sound any better. So, well, I, thank you. you know, thank, thank you so much, man. I mean, how could it sound better? It could be it's just, <sighs> I suppose. Yeah. That's like an infinite quest, right? It's impossible. That's, that's the thing. I mean, I think that one thing I joke about often now, which is, there's a lot of truth to it is as an imperfect perfectionist, there's always going to be room to grow. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think my, my, um, my reasons for trying to do this are all about my own, um, goals. And the hope is that, uh, that other people like yourself can, can enjoy it. And, uh, I really appreciate it because the mix for empath, man, I, I I'm talking like, uh, just months in the headphones, just point two of DB move. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so like in the midst of this din, that one splash symbol can come out, but not be too loud. And then yeah. at the same time of the orchestra and the same frequency range is choirs of me. And then this woman's choir and then all these synths and also the same crash symbol that has this one frequency at like 3.5 that a lot of the, a lot of the, um, mixing technique that goes into this stuff for me is much less like a what a real i say in quotations what a real mixer would do which they'll get everything in a frequency range and then you know put it into a limiter and and then it sounds cool like for me it's about automating frequencies in one part so you know yeah. um one one instrument that is participating at the same time as 10 other instruments in the same frequency range like the one that you want to have the focus on is the one that gets the that 250k push and then everything else gets automated down but then when that changes to the focus being something else then that gets the push and and uh it's the same with compression because as soon as i start compressing the stuff i mean of course there's compression on on vocals or drums or what have you but if you as soon as you start doing like rock compression to any of these things, it just sounds like shit to me. So, so as opposed to doing that, what it comes down to is like this manual compression technique where you'll ride these things. So as opposed to running it through a compressor, I'll just, you know, uh, I'll take the volume automation and have things ducking and, and, and raising and, and, and each section I have to deal with like that. So, <laughs> You know, That's it's crazy. like you've got, you know, dude, you get this 75 minute long thing with all this stuff. And and then because stylistically it shifts from minute to minute, basically, it requires like different sounds. So, yeah, like it goes from the monsters bit in singularity to a beach party. And it's like two different drums. And in order for that beach party to not sound like, um, like, jokey it needs to have a bunch more mid-range than a metal section but all of a sudden if you just dump a whole bunch of mid-range onto it it doesn't play ball with the part before it so it's and i think this is where ultimately i feel frustrated with with mixing in stereo because in order for that to work there is just inherently compromises that have to be made you know and those are where i feel um i can um I can progress. It's the thing that I think I really 
uh, have down is relative levels. Like if you've got hundreds of tracks worth of things, um, what's going to make or break the vibe of that section is how the orchestra's level is in comparison with the synths or, and then with the choir and then with the guitars. And that's what I think I do really well for my stuff at least. But the, um, the frequency slotting and, and, and it's, it's, it's a work in progress. <laughs> I wanted to also ask you, um, about the uh, the tour, what's the plan? Is are you playing this this whole album live? I know you said something about using different musicians for for different shows. Or what's the what are you thinking about? Well, so every tour is is potentially going to be different people and different vibes. And the reason why is because ultimately, in twenty twenty one, I want to play the album in its entirety. And each one of these experiences that I do live provides me with an opportunity to learn how to do a different aspect of my my work, right? Um, the past few years have been so busy, but also busy doing a real certain type of live performance. And that's one with click tracks, backing tracks. Um, you know, everybody's in, in ears. No one's really playing with each other. It's It's, we're all playing the songs, but it's not playing the music in a sense. And even though it sounded really cool, that's where I was dissatisfied with it. It's, it sounded great, but it, it's a fine line between playing the songs and playing music. And um, I wanted to get back to a more traditional sort of interaction with musicians and get a bunch of really high level players that I can improvise with on stage and not have, you know, the tether and the, the sort of safety wheels of, of, you know, this song goes into this one every night. And this is the amount of time you got between these songs every night. You know what I mean? It's like, and I really appreciate that sort of improvisational thing that more in the seventies as well, you know, Zeppelin and Floyd and all that sort of thing. And, um, and I want to incorporate that into what I do with this. But prior to that, I wanted to do this acoustic tour because what it does is it strips away everything and it just puts me on a stage you know, I mean, under a white light, it's as naked as you can be. And um, so starting from nothing with this acoustic tour and then the next thing, building it up to a more improvisational thing. And then maybe I'll do a heavier tour and maybe I'll do an or orchestral thing. And then the ultimate goal of this being by the time I get to play Empath in its entirety, I'll ticked off all these boxes of performance uh, techniques that I, I feel are important to really get it right. That's pretty cool. It's going to be a long, a nice, very cool process. I think that'll be uh, really neat for people that get to see the shows. I hope there's some U.S. shows eventually at some point. Um, there will. Absolutely. I mean, I'm doing the acoustic run. I'm just, I'm just uh, with, uh, I'm just opening for a band, some friends of mine, and it gives me a chance to um, just get out there and, be in the States again and, and visit with the audience there. But I, I mean, a lot of the acoustic thing for me at this point as well is convenient because I just don't want to be thinking about a band yet. I've got to be out. I've got to be promoting this. Um, and doing the acoustic shows allows me to do interviews, uh, meet people, perform, but it doesn't force me to like have to just jump on the horse right away after making this huge project. Right. So 
November is the first real tour, and I'm currently in the process of getting everybody ready for that. Very cool. Awesome, man. Well, look, I could I could talk to you about the minutiae of every song on the new album for another hour, but uh, <laughs> suffice to say, I, I it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite album this year. I think it's just, it's awesome. Man, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, that vote of confidence as well. Really, really happy for you. And uh, man, good luck with it. I hope to see you on the road and we'll talk again. And Thank uh, you, dude. All right, man. Talk to you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thanks to Devin for the interview. We're going to close with a track off Empath. We're going to play Spirits Will Collide. For upcoming news and interviews, please check theprogreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Prog Report on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, check out all the back episodes of the podcast on all our podcast networks, which you can find on the website and check us out on YouTube as well. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.